2: Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out.
1: This is
0: Psychoanalysis. This is Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast analyzing the genre through the lens of mental health. I'm Mike Snoonian, and Jen is going to take a short break to start the year here. She is going to miss our January episodes uh, while she catches up on some Losers Club business and a bunch of her writing assignments. So we're going to give her a little bit of break, but the two of us are very hard at work planning the next 11 months of the year. So she will be back sooner than later. But luckily, I am not alone, and Jen and I have planned a number of special guests to kind of jump into the co-host chairs this month and pitch in with us. We are so fortunate to have, like, these really good friends to help out. Let's welcome to the show first, you know her from her site, We Who Walk Here. Uh, Let's welcome, and she's been on a number of podcasts, and she's a regular co-host of The Pod and The Pendulum, my other show. Jessica Scott, how are we today?
1: I'm doing great. I'm really, really happy to be here.
0: I'm super excited to have you here and to talk about this movie. So welcome again to psychoanalysis. Because you've guested before. Yes. What show was that? I'm trying to remember.
1: Uh we did the comfort horror with your next.
0: Okay. Excellent. Okay. Excellent and we also have you've read her words on dread central among other places she's one of the co-hosts of the losers club and she's also one of the co-hosts of the Pod and pendulum as well Well, rachel reeves how are we
2: hey i am so excited to be back on psychoanalysis <laughs>
0: love having you back and never have enough of the two of you and if i remember rachel you guested on one of the shows that i wasn't on like i think one of the two that i wasn't on was the thing right
2: no i did predator you did
0: predator okay did i miss
2: predator no No, i I was here for that.
0: oh yeah all right well i've already made an ass of myself two (laughs) years into the
2: new year things also great so there's nothing wrong there
0: (laughs) it's a new year And it's a new theme. So for this month, we are, I hesitate to say taking a look back at COVID because I feel like if I say that, it means that, oh, yeah, we're out of the woods and it's no longer a problem, which isn't the case. We're kind of taking a look back really at those early days of COVID and like the initial outbreak and how we reacted to it. And really, what we're looking at in January is the mental health toll that living through three years of a pandemic has caused everybody so for our first movie this month we are discussing the 2022 film the harbinger written and directed by andy mitten one of my favorite indie directors and a quick word of warning um there are two movies in 2022 called the harbinger so if you are seeking this movie out Remember, this one was written and directed by Andy Mitten. Uh, It stars Emily Davis, Raymond Anthony Tavis, and uh, Gabby Beans in the starring roles of this. So kind of make sure you're looking out for that movie. I have not seen the other one and can't speak to its quality, good or bad, but this is the COVID-related one. So what we're going to do first, as you know, is we are going to have a brief synopsis of the movie. Um, And in case you haven't seen this yet, it is available on video demand for purchase or rental through Amazon, Vudu, Apple TV. We're going to go ahead and spoil this movie for y'all, but I would strongly recommend you check it out. So download this episode, pause it go watch the harbinger and come back and listen to us talk about it so you don't get spoiled so i'll kick things off here the building manager of a new york city apartment complex breaks into the home of mavis to check in on her he finds her in the throes of a paralyzing nightmare when he tries to convince her to seek help whoops sorry while he tries to convince her to seek help a cloaked figure hovers just outside the window
1: Meanwhile, Monique shelters in place with her brother Ronald and their father during the early days of the pandemic. They have made the adjustments to their everyday life, wearing masks indoors, sanitizing everything they touch, and having necessities like groceries curbside delivered to them. As Ronald shares a funny story with their dad about the before times, Monique receives a call from her old college friend Mavis.
2: At their father's birthday celebration that evening, Monique tells her family she's going to leave to help Mavis and that she owes her friend this favor. Her brother and father, obviously, try to convince her to stay, reminding her of the dangers and arguing how hard they've worked to create this safe bubble for the three of them.
0: Monique leaves despite their reservations. On the way to into Mavis's building, she encounters a mother and a sick, coughing
1: boy. The old friends reunite, hug, and unmask, crying tears of joy over experiencing human contact for the first time in ages. Mavis fills Monique in. She's been experiencing horrible nightmares that last hours or even days. She's haunted by the figure we saw briefly earlier in the movie. It threatens her by telling her it will get strong enough soon to pull her from this world and make everyone forget her. Monique is skeptical and looks for a psychologist for Mavis to speak to.
2: That night, Monique experiences her first nightmare, dreaming about her mother and being lost in the woods. In the peripheral distance, the hooded creature taunts her.
0: When Monique wakes up and notices the missed calls and panic texts from her brother, she calls him right away. Dad is sick. he spiked a fever. While Monique tries to process this, the ceiling above her breaks apart, and the bloodied corpse of the boy she saw yesterday comes crashing through. Monique then wakes up from her nightmare.
1: Mavis describes tossing herself off a cliff in her dreams, hoping it will wake her up. Instead, in her dream state, she describes crashing to the rocks below, feeling her body broken apart and bleeding out.
2: The young boy upstairs dies from COVID, and Monique's dreams grow worse. She's haunted by the boy. She dreams of him chasing her through the abandoned building. She dreams of her grandmother being infected by demons.
0: Mavis and Monique contact a demonologist over Zoom. She She fills them in on what's haunting them a demon called the harbinger. It likes the pandemic. All the suffering makes it stronger. It comes into the world when others spread the word about it. The encounters always end the same way. The harbinger pulls its victims from the world, not only killing them, but wiping all memory of the person from existence, like they were never born. No one remembers them. Photos are wiped out. Their works are gone. There is nothing left of them at all sometimes a small memento might slip through but that is all at best there is a thought that is just at the end of someone's tongue that remains unspoken and unremembered
1: the demonologist cuts the call short when mavis starts yelling at her to help them
2: that night monique abandons mavis while she sleeps back at her home her brother and father treat her coldly dragging her upstairs and locking her in her room During this nightmare, Monique finds herself back at Mavis's apartment. The harbinger has arrived, and it drags Mavis out of existence while Monique watches helplessly.
0: Monique wakes up the next day in an empty apartment, confronted by the building manager. She's been there for weeks, but has no recollection on how she got there or why she is there.
1: Her brother picks her up and Monique returns home. With the help of the boy, she confronts the harbinger one last time in her dreams and gets the best of it. "'killing it by gouging out its eyes "'and sawing its head off with a surgical saw. "'The boy leads Monique to a bed "'in the middle of a snowy field "'where Monique lays down her
2: head and "'wakes up in her own room. "'Her family is overjoyed. "'She had been asleep for three days. "'There's further good news. "'All three of them have tested negative for COVID "'and the restrictions are loosening.' As life returns to a semi-normal state, Monique Zoom calls the demonologist. She can't remember who introduced her to the harbinger, but she knows the boy helped her defeat it.
0: The demonologist's demeanor changes. Doesn't Monique know that the harbinger controls everyone and everything in the dream world? Monique slams the computer shut and begins to say that she's not ready to be forgotten when the harbinger breaks her, her door and drags Monique out of the world. Later, her brother greets his father at the door after the elderly man was hospitalized with COVID. Though the dad has beaten the disease, he is angry and depressed and wonders what the point was. He talks about a shadow being cast over the world. As he begins to climb the stairs, he finds a sketch of a small bird. It is the only thing left in this world of his daughter's. And that's the Harbinger, a happy, cheery, (laughs) you know, feel good movie, Um, you know. So, yeah, thank you so much for the assist with that and reading my awkward words.
2: And I will say, I just want to, so April Wolf used to say on her podcast, Switchblade Sisters, like, it's not what happens in a movie, but how it happens that makes a movie worthwhile. So I'm just going to say that for anybody who hasn't seen that, even if you know what happens still like it's how it watch happens, it. oh yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> absolutely
2: all right, we're gonna do a feelings
0: check in and this is where we share our first experience with this movie and how it feels when we watch it so Jessica, do you mind kicking things off?
1: no, um, I saw this about three weeks ago I uh, got a copy of it for review um and reviewed it on my site um I had not heard much about it before I watched it. I basically just knew the name um. And I was not blindsided, but a little caught off guard because it hit so close to home. Um, Some of the listeners might know this. Some of you might not. In 2021, my dad died of COVID. Um, And I uh, didn't find out for a few days because I was in the hospital with COVID at the same time. And the doctors informed my mother that she was under no circumstances to tell me what had happened because I was struggling so much. They thought if I got bad news, I would die, too.
0: Right.
1: So um, my mom had to wait to tell me until I got home and had recovered enough to leave the hospital. So this movie hit really close to home. Y'all will Mm -hmm. probably hear my teary voice a lot during Uh, this recording because it just, uh, you know, I've lived through. L- losing someone to COVID I've lived through having COVID and not knowing if I was ever going to leave the hospital again. And you know, that fear of being forgotten and that fear of, uh, you know, there are things that I've already forgotten about my dad. And that just makes the grief even worse. Cause it's like, if I forget him, then he's really gone. Mm-hmm. So, uh, this one, it, it's a really good movie, even if this, it doesn't, uh, hit you in a really personal place like it does with me but for me it hit so close to home that it was even harder to watch but I appreciated it even mm-hmm. more if that makes sense it
0: does and I'm so sorry for your loss and thanks for coming on to talk about this It's going to be so Rachel how about yourself
2: I watched this last week and I have to be honest it was really because you two were talking about it. <laughs> I've heard you mention it multiple times, Mike, and just talking about that. how much you loved it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, so, yeah, it was, I'm, I'm very excited um, to be able to cross this one off my list. I also really enjoyed it. Just, you know, spoiler alert there. And, um, yeah, it's it doesn't hold back, but I also think that it's really, I don't know, yeah, it gave me a lot of feelings, and I'm really happy that something a film like this exists, because I think that it handles these subjects in a really sensitive way, but also in a really honest way. Um, But it's also something that's going to have longevity, I think. And yeah, yeah, it's a pandemic movie, whatever. But it also the the ideas it's tackling, I think will resonate for a really long time. So it's been a movie that sat with me for just, you know, a minute. But I keep thinking about it. And there's a lot of really great things here that will have a lot of relevancy to a lot of different people, regardless of kind of your stance and where you're coming from and your experiences. I think that there's a lot of value here. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: for me, I got to, uh, introduce this twice at Telluride horror this past fall, which was really exciting for me. Um, I've been a fan of Andy Mittens since seeing, yellow brick road which he co-wrote and co-directed i saw that out at the at what was then the new york city horror film fest i want to say in either 2009 or 2010 it was like right when i had started going to festivals and writing about movies and i remember walking out of yellow brick road thinking i don't know what i just watch but whatever that <laughs> is i want more of it and i want more movies like this movie it blew me away um and he would go on to co-direct We Go On. Uh, a few years ago, he did The Witch in the Window, uh, which I also had the pleasure of like introducing and doing a QA and a for at Telluride Horror. So he is, to me, like we talk about, or I talk about like Benson and Moorhead and Jeremy Gardner and Bray Grant as these really phenomenal kind of indie horror directors. And I would put uh, Andy Mitten in that mix. And I just think he's phenomenal. Like he, as far as I'm concerned, I am four for four in his movies. Um, was had the privilege of doing like two great Q and A's with him out there to like two packed houses for this movie. Um, and I remember like it was the last movie we showed, I think Friday night at Tell Your Telluride this year. So ends around midnight or so. I go back to my, uh, hotel room. I go to bed, and i don't usually dream or i don't really remember my dreams i don't have nightmares very often anymore i woke up from like a horrific nightmare after this movie just like absolutely woke up terrified drenched in sweat it's like three in the morning and i'm like is it too early to call my wife back in massachusetts to check in it was one of those moments so this movie like really got under my skin um Yeah. So, and I remember doing the second Q&A was the closing movie and it was still usually at Telluride the Sunday people are leaving. So it's so hard to get in and out of that city. Uh, But people stuck around this year. So everything was packed in. So we showed this as our closing movie against Christmas, Bloody Christmas, and both were like standing room only. And I remember doing the Q&A and there were people up front like in tears during the Q&A. Mm-hmm. Cause, like to your point, Jessica, this is something that's affected us so much. Um, whether or not you've lost someone close to you or just have had to made make tremendous adjustments. And I think this movie tackles it in a way that is like very sober and um, and very, like, true to what we've experienced, but also doesn't forget to be a horror movie. And I'm whatever he does next, I'm really excited for. So we're now going to transition to the mental health issue. Um, and there's a lot here. And listeners, like, this is a pretty sensitive subject. And this is one that I think a lot of us maybe aren't even ready to talk about yet. Because, like I said, we're still living amongst this um maybe not to the extent we were three years ago but i think it's affected it's affected everybody i can't think of a single person that in some way hasn't been affected by covid um so it's a sensitive one if you need to skip ahead a little bit that's totally understandable so i think we need to talk about like i I guess jessica you shared your your story about your family and yourself um really what this has done is had a massive impact on like our collective mental health it's caused disruptions in our lives that we're still experiencing to this day even i would say like in 20 the summer of 2021 i think the world made a collective decision like once vaccines had been out for a little bit to say oh we've got this thing beat there's vaccines now um it's over, let's go back to normal. I think that Mm -hmm. that was kind of the starting, that was the end of the collective response of the pandemic. And I think one of the most disappointing things of the past year is it doesn't feel like there's any guidance anymore in terms of like what are the best practices and any enforcement of best practices. Mm -hmm. It feels like everybody is in it for themselves. So would anyone care to share their own experience with this or how it's affected them or really some of the things they've had to do to kind of make do over the past few years.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I know it'll be, it's different for everybody. You know, everybody's had losses of some kind, whether you've lost a a family member or multiple family members, there are a lot of people who have lost a lot of folks. Mm. Um, and, It sounds weird to say, but I consider myself lucky that I only lost one parent because some Mm -hmm. people have lost both their parents, multiple family members. Um, But I agree that it feels just so rudderless, the approach to trying to keep people safe and keep people healthy. Um, I myself, it's, it's so damn hard being so isolated i think that's something that everybody can relate to even if you are naturally an introvert or naturally someone who doesn't go out much being not forced but feeling compelled to stay inside and stay away from people for so long is just not good for us right and i have i carry a lot of guilt like i carry a lot of guilt from being the one who lived while my Mm -hmm. dad died and i carry a lot of guilt of Feeling like, you know, damn, I just want to go out and meet people and make friends and have fun. I feel guilty for having those feelings, but I think they're very natural feelings to not want to live in isolation for the rest of your life. But there's also this huge fear of what if I get it again? What if I give it to somebody else? What if I pass this on and create more suffering and pain in my Mm -hmm. life? You know, so I have a lot of the uncertainty Is, I think, a big part of why this has been so hard. Because nobody knows what to do. Nobody knows how to keep safe, you know. And the people who know how to keep us safe are not being heard. They're not being elevated. And humans don't do well with ambiguity and uncertainty. We want answers. We want Mm -hmm. fast answers. And living with this much up in the air for years at a time. I just... That amount of being in flux, your mental health being in flux, your physical safety being in flux, we're not built to be in crisis mode all the time. And that is why one reason it has been so hard for me is because I'm already, I operate like that anyway, because I have CP, PTSD. I have, you know, really strong, strong trauma triggers, but add that extra amount of, um, being on guard and being alert and being, you know, scared of danger, being in survival mode 24-7 for years at a time has just left us all traumatized. I know the the word trauma and traumatized is a lot of people think it's overused in the horror. But in this case, I don't Mm -hmm. think you can argue that we haven't experienced a mass trauma event. (laughs) It's,
2: it's, it's been quite interesting having some t- such an I don't know some time pass and looking back at it. So, when the pandemic first hit, I was working in retail, a small business, and seeing how the owners of that store they took it very seriously, were following it very closely, implemented all you know the, the recommendations. But just seeing how th- those initial waves and the shutdown impacted a small business, especially a retail one, how people treated. <laughs> retail workers, especially when things did start to open up. Um, and I currently live in a very red state. So some of the restrictions were a little bit less than some other states. However, the owners wanted to take a very, they were just being safe and following CDC guidelines. Um, but how interacting with the public under that those situations, when you're kind of going against certain um, beliefs was, it was super stressful and it was hard on everybody And then after a while, I shifted careers and um, now I work up in higher education. And it's been interesting to see how years have passed and how these students who have been um, pursuing their degrees with COVID Mm -hmm. happening, so remote, you know, remotely or just starting now to enter college how that's impacted their education and the way that they process things, how it's affected their college experience. It's been, I mean, we're still dealing with the effects. That's the thing. It's like, it's not done. Like, and I think that a film like this is so interesting because there's a lot of people that don't want to see this in their movies. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's very telling in a lot of ways. Cause it's like, why it's, it's happening. This is real life. But I think that that says a lot about how people just, they want to move on. They want to believe that, all right, we made it through. But at the same time, like, I don't know if anybody's seeing what's happening in China right now. (laughs) I have a few, I know a few people who are teaching over there and they live there. And so like having kind of, you know, through Facebook, like seeing how their experience has been, it's, Pretty wild so it's just yeah this continues to unfold and evolve and it's it's not going away and I think that people yeah they do just want to move on and forget and I think it's going to continue the effects are going to continue to roll out for decades like this isn't it's not over people and I like that you point out the rudderless thing because it is kind of strange to me too. Cause it's like, clearly this is something we're all going to have to deal with for the rest of our lives. But yeah, crickets. Very, very odd. And yeah, It it feels
0: so calculated in that regard because it's a political decision. It's, mm-hmm. I think we saw in, we saw our direct correlation in like 2021, whenever there was like a special election of like, if you supported mask mandates or vaccine mandates, you were, you were out of office. So it became politically expedient to say, we're just going to lift as many restrictions as possible. So as mm-hmm. not to feel you're being like pro person, anti personal choice or anti business. Um, and it's just really sad.
2: I I do. It's been interesting, too, because I'm sure I'm not the only one where this situation has kind of really quickly revealed some, you know, some ideological differences and stances between family members. So, like, even if you didn't lose somebody, you know, to illness during this, it's been I know plenty of people that it's, you know, caused some pretty intense family rifts and you've, you know, like, you know, lost people estranged people just because choices and stances were made that we didn't necessarily know were there before but this very a situation like this very quickly kind of reveals people's colors on where they stand on certain things and
0: because on either side there is no middle ground it's very much like very little room to compromise and i can understand it from the perspective of like I don't want to get ill again, so I'm going to ask, you know, you wear a mask or you're vaccinated. I can understand that because the alternative is you can get sick or make somebody else sick, especially when there are so many immunocompromised people. There are children. There are other elderly family members. So I can understand that stance. Like asking someone to wear a piece of cloth over their face shouldn't feel like a massive – like public health shouldn't be political. Um, on, in our family, my mother's best friend of years, who we knew for a long time is like very right wing, very like listens to AM talk radio, uh, and watches Fox news almost exclusively very anti mask and anti vaccine. So we had to tell her for my mother's like 75th birthday. Like, I know you've been friend with her since you were seven, but you can't come. Like we're not going to put, you know, our anyone at risk. So sorry, you've made your choice. Now we have to make a choice, uh, and I don't feel bad about that at all. We were already a very polarized country, and that polarization has only gotten worse. Uh, and there's only a greater divide. I'm fortunate to live in a very blue state, even though we had a Republican governor. It was a Republican governor that. Kind of realized like he could not do much without the very democratic legislature we have and he took it fairly serious. Like I say Charlie Baker, who was our governor through most of this, like did a better job than a lot of other Republican governors did. Not that it was perfect, but I don't think you can be perfect. Other things we saw, like you mentioned working in a university. I work in a public school kids have lost like two years of development and socialization. So when kids came back to school in the fall of 2021, number one, they were shell shocked for a lot of kids. It was the first time they had been around other students in forever. Um, They didn't know how to socialize anymore. So not only do you have this massive loss in their education with them being nearly two years behind in reading and math skills and writing skills That lack of socialization was very evident right away, where conflict resolution was almost impossible. Um, Knowing how to behave in, like, social situations, (laughs) it was really hard. Like, last year was the hardest year I've ever had in any job anywhere, especially with, like, middle – sixth grade middle schoolers in particular – was super difficult. Like those kids coming into middle school that had more expectations on them academically and socially because those expectations didn't go away. Um, But also like they start going through puberty. They are experiencing thoughts and feelings they've never had before and haven't had that run up in the past two years to kind of build up to it. I describe them as feral.
2: Yeah, it's that's funny because I think it's the same. Like I just you know, I work with a lot of professors, obviously, and just have, you know, had conversations with them. And it's like, you know, for obvious reasons, expectations were a little different over the last couple of years. And how those systems worked, because how learning was just had to happen. But, you know, with things getting a little bit more, uh, you know, back to quote, unquote, normal, mm-hmm. it's that transition into, and, um Adjustment of expectations has been really difficult. I think for a lot of folks, you you talk about like entering middle school. I think it's the same thing entering high school, oh, yeah. entering college. Like the expectations that come with any of those big transitions has been really hard. Yeah. And then how the students interact with the teachers is now a little bit different. And just I just my heart breaks for teachers and educators and folks like yourself who have to not. Are not only responsible for educating these young folks, but also are now put in a position where you're having to like deal with mental health issues. And um, like, there's you know a lot of changes in how like okay, if you see a student struggling, what's the next step? Like, I, I feel like those expectations on teachers in regards to mental health are are larger than ever, and also just uh, just confusing. <laughs> I don't know. It's a lot to deal with. I think.
0: You mentioned working in the universities. I think of all the rites of passages that younger kids missed out on. They missed out on like a graduation ceremony, homecoming, prom, Um, having that kind of like last gasp of a summer where you graduate from high school and it's before you go off to college or work or whatever your next step is going to be. And it's just like that, it's supposed to be like one of the best times of your life, but instead you're completely isolated And how hard that must have been, like how much young people have missed out on. Yeah. And then on top of that, you look at the growing divide, like, all right, now I'm going to have crushing debt and no <laughs> job security, like, yay. So it's right, been wait. hard.
2: I think it could also go the other way, too, because I see a lot of students where it's like they're finally out on their own, right? Like they've been trapped at home with their parents or whatever and haven't had the connections with their friends that I think a lot of people have in high school. And now they're entering college. And, you know, I mean, like partying is out of control because it's like they're just like these you know Mm -hmm. caged ferrets that are finally like let loose yeah and that also comes with a lot of you know issues that you know i think a lot of universities are also Mm -hmm. seeing because and you can't i mean i can't blame them but also it's yeah it's like the other end of the spectrum Mm -hmm. where they're just going bananas because they can
0: yeah I think of the economic divide too. I think of anything like one of the things that COVID has done is it's shown the great economic divide we had because Mm -hmm. look, I'm a middle-class, middle-aged white dude with a pretty nuclear family. So we were able to survive this pretty well. But I work in a community of mostly like persons of color. It's a lot of single parents. Um, It is a lot of... Blue collar workers and retail workers and grocery workers, people that work uh, in, as like health home aides. So, persons like where I got to work mostly from home in a pretty safe environment. And even when I had to go into the school two or three days a week, there was no children there. I get to sit in my office in a pretty isolated area. So, I was mostly felt safe. If you were a grocery store worker, if you worked at like a coffee shop if you worked number one if your place of business could even stay open so you had millions of persons with their work disrupted and were unable to work and collect a paycheck and then didn't know how they were going to pay rent Mm -hmm. um but then you also had persons that like at grocery stores working the front lines day after day wondering is like the next time i ring up somebody's groceries for the week am I going to get sick? Is this person in front of me infected? And then you both mentioned, like, working in retail, how people were treated. Just the trauma that comes with, like, being treated like a servant, really. Like, being just treated like garbage. Um, and well, and, like... Be-
2: like- blamed for the stance of whoever your employer is like like their frustrations either way good or you know whichever way you're leaning like
0: yeah
2: it's but then it's but it's taken out on you when you actually have no control over that and that was really tragic i mean we saw that all over the country right and it's like it's not even that person's fault they're just they just happen to work for this company Mm -hmm. (laughs)
1: Yeah. yeah I mean, retail and food service, any kind of service job or where you're interacting with the public a lot is already hellish. Let's be honest, you know, (laughs) and, (laughs) but if you add all this stress and, you know, you're one of the few places open, you're getting so many more people and so many angry people, so many frustrated people. It just, I, I. I count my blessings every day that I wasn't working retail during the pandemic. To be honest, I, that's not a sucks to be you. That's a, I feel for you because I did a lot of time in the retail and food service trenches, but not during this pressure cooker of a situation. Mm -hmm. And I can't imagine how much worse it was, even though I, you know, I witnessed it. Like if I had to go into the grocery store, I saw people acting you know, like you said, I think adults are feral at this point, too. Like <laughs> yeah. they have either forgotten how to act or they have decided I don't have to act appropriately right. anymore because of how unusual the situation is. And mm-hmm. so th- the feral adults were acting poorly and, you know, mistreating all these service workers. And it's just I keep saying pressure cooker, but it's just it has it feels like everybody's at odds with everybody else. And so much of that has to do with that uncertainty and that fear, mm-hmm. which I think th- the movie taps into really well. Like I, I, I love movies that find universality in specificity. Like this mm-hmm. is a very specific story about a very specific time of the pandemic, but you can apply it to the extended pandemic and to things that mm-hmm. have absolutely nothing to do with COVID. And the, that kind of ties into the you know how we treat other people how we look out for other people or don't. And I think the COVID pandemic has definitely revealed how much we don't look out for each other, Mm -hmm. how much our country, you know, for people in the United States, how much our country doesn't look out for us, but how much we're kind of failing to look out for each other just in communities.
0: Yeah. Agree.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think there's so much
0: community disruption at this point, that we have forgotten. Brian and I talked about this on the other show, where we talked about It's a Wonderful Life. We talked about sacrifices that persons made, say, during World War II, versus mm-hmm. how hard it feels to get anyone to make any sort of personal sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And how challenging it is. And, and that's not, shouldn't be a global statement, Like because there are people that are extremely generous, and I look at The essential workers like doctors and nurses that worked countless tireless hours on the front lines and had to just wade through death and sickness for so long and how that took a toll but persons that like delivered food persons that organized clothing drives persons that did their best to help out but it just feels like there's not enough of us that are kind of like doing that and that's a very hard thing to wrap our heads around i think we kind of want to assume or hope that we all look out for one another and we all want to take care of one another um but it does to your point Jess, feel like there's much more of a like nope i have mine and i don't i want to make sure nobody else gets a piece of it or even approaches what i have Mm -hmm. um you talk
2: about a divide, like just between like stances on certain things. I think there's just all these divides just got bigger. And you talk, mm-hmm. I mean, you, we saw the best of people, right? In these situations, we saw people, even if it was you, you know, helping out a friend and delivering groceries or whatever.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But like you saw, like the best got more visible, but also the worst got more visible yeah. mm-hmm. on giant large scales and small scales. And so it's all just. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. bigger divides. <laughs> yeah.
0: So there's a lot here, and I'm going to save some of it for our next episode when we do our second movie on COVID. Mm-hmm. The one thing I do want to discuss is, because I think it's very pertinent to this movie, is how COVID disrupted the grieving process. And I, mm-hmm. and Jess, you mentioned this, like how how hard it is to grieve for persons we lost, or to collectively grieve number one because like the numbers feel so overwhelming when you hear of the millions of people that we've lost and the tens of millions that are still suffering from long COVID or other de- 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 debilitating health issues but also persons that we lost because they weren't able to get treatment for other illnesses non-covid related because The system was so overwhelmed. Um, It's really like we have rituals around grief that help us kind of prepare and move on. And COVID disrupted that. We weren't able to say goodbye to our loved ones. Um, At best, you could hope for sometimes to say goodbye over like an iPad. Um, Persons going into the hospital kind of knowing they weren't going to come out as well. And how hard that has been. Um, it's It has added to our collective trauma over the past couple years. Like we've not been able to properly say goodbye to people we love. I'll share a little with you right now. I lost my dad when I was 19. Um, and he went in for surgery like a month before to get like his bladder like cancer taken out. And the surgery went really well. The problem was he got an infection. And I was at college at the time and they, you know, he was in the hospital and I had no idea how bad it was. Um and they put him in a coma, but my understanding was he was going to get better. Like my mom never really shared how bad it was with him when I was at university. And then she called me home to come say goodbye to him the day. So I can, it's not the same thing, but I can understand a little bit where I like didn't get to say a real proper goodbye. I'm like, was completely taken aback and like it sticks with you,
1: you yeah know, you know. yeah like my dad uh, he was sick for a lot longer than i was um because mm-hmm. he was a big strong guy and i think he just was able to fight it harder than i was able to fight it um so his decline was more gradual which i think ironically is one reason he died because it uh it attacked his system for longer so he mm-hmm. was weaker by the end um but he went to the hospital in an ambulance twice. The first time I was able to say, you know, bye, I love you. But they sent him home because he wasn't Mm -hmm. quite sick enough. Mm -hmm. And then a couple days later, we had to call the ambulance again. And this time I'll always regret this. I said something along the lines of they're going to take care of you. Don't worry. Mm -hmm. And that was the last thing I said to my dad in person. So, you know, I, I'm a very superstitious person and I always Mm -hmm. kick myself for that. But, um, and then that that's the last time I ever saw him alive. Um, because I, shortly after that, I went into the hospital with COVID and I was in the ICU for about a week. Um, and I, you know, would text when I had the strength, I would text my mom for updates on my dad and just say, how's he doing? How's he doing? And she was vague and positive, which, Mm -hmm. which kind of at the back of my mind, I was like, I don't think she's telling me everything, but I wasn't sick enough. I mean, no. I, mean I, was, I wasn't I was well enough yeah. to really be aware, because I was fighting for my life, you know? Right. Um, so I, you know, I, my dad was not up to speaking on the phone or texting. I wasn't up to speaking on the phone or texting. The, I, the last thing I said to him on the phone was, I love you, which I'm really mm-hmm. grateful for. Um, but like I said at the top of the show, you know, he died on the 16th of January and I came home from the hospital on the 19th. And when I got in the car with my mom, when she picked me up, my first question was, how's dad? And she just wouldn't answer me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I got really frustrated and I said, is he even alive? And she said, I can't talk about it while we're driving. So we got home. She got me some food because I was starving. You know, I'd been in the hospital for a week. I lost like 20 or 30 pounds while I was sick with COVID. Um, She got me some food. And then I said, okay, you're going to tell me what happened to my dad now. And she told me that he had died and told me why she couldn't tell me about it when I was in the hospital. Because the doctors didn't think I was going to make it either. And they needed my hopes up and they needed my spirit as light as possible. Um, And she just told me and it it was really hard that i wasn't able to see him wasn't able to say goodbye I didn't even know about it for days and i don't blame my mom at all i'm glad she did what the doctors told her to do she was doing everything she could to to keep me safe um but it was very difficult and it's something i still struggle with you know i mean i don't think there's any closure you can get when you lose someone you love but yeah. that's a particularly Violent way to have somebody ripped away from you, I think, that it just kind of happened when I wasn't looking and I wasn't able to say anything to him. Um, And I'm sorry if this is rambling or it's too much or if it's triggering for anybody listening, but um, it's... I struggle with it every day. I mean, if anybody follows me on Twitter, I, I talk about it a lot. Because, I mean, sometimes grief feels like something that's just going to swallow you whole. And I just have to talk about it sometimes. But, it, um, but yeah, like I said, I sometimes I still feel guilty that I made it out. And I wonder why I made it. And he didn't. and uh, But... Yeah, I'm, I'm going to stop before I ramble anymore, but <laughs> that's my story.
0: <laughs> I And I've seen you share like a number, of, and thank you so much for Yeah. sharing that. I know that's really hard and hopefully like a little cathartic. So I think it yeah. feels good to talk about the people that we love, whether or not they're with us. But I've read a number of like stories like you've shared about your dad online and how you've talked about him. And it feels like it was a really warm relationship yeah you know and at least we have that and like there's fewer regrets i know when i've talked about my dad i'm like well i can say i've had like 19 mostly really good years with him and a lot of people have like 50 bad years with a parent <laughs> so at yeah. least i have like 19 good ones that i wouldn't trade in but i to your point like it's very hard when we're not when it's unexpected when, it, when it, it it's something that we can't explain why this happened or where this comes from, but also when everything is upended at the same time. Like when we're not able to go through our normal and we're not able to surround ourselves with the people we want to turn to the most during a really hard time like this.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I had to go straight into quarantine mm-hmm. after I got out of the hospital. So I was sitting in my bed for two weeks grieving on mm-hmm. my own. And just like watching the, the happiest movies I could find on a loop, mm-hmm. like I, I think I screwed up my Letterbox stats with Legally Blonde and Thirteen going mm-hmm. on thirty, just over and over. But yeah, I just, I just sat in my bed and grieved on my own. And my mm-hmm. mom had to be, my mom was in the house with me. She had to be in a on a different story of the house, grieving yeah. on her own. We weren't able to console each other, which made it that much harder. So oh. it just
2: it it compounds, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that that is why, number one, people like Jessica, who are brave enough to share their stories like this and also movies like this are so important because like it's easy to, especially like if it hasn't impacted you in those ways to just, yeah, kind of brush it off and not remember the weight of these events And it's like so many people have been impacted and affected in so many ways that how is that? I mean, the ripple effect. It's just it's insane for people to think that this is not I mean, everybody, the world is different and how we're different. And so like Mm -hmm. just trying so desperately to go back to the way it was is not realistic. And so by people like, you know, Mr. Mitten by putting movies out like this, it's kind of addressing that. And just reminding folks that, like, yeah, this happened. Like, I know you just want to go back to the way it was, but that's not, <laughs> I don't know, a healthy way to deal with it, I think. It doesn't
0: seem possible.
2: Yeah. Like, it's just it, kind of like delusional. Yeah. <laughs> and so, by, and, you know, it's important to talk about yeah. it because there's so many people dealing with this trauma and we're going to feel this in so many different ways for so long. So, And
0: that's not even talking about how the way things were before didn't work for so many people. Oh,
2: like, yeah, I mean, that's the thing, well, too. Like, it wasn't it's, that... Yeah. it wasn't perfect before either and,
0: but and we will save maybe save that for our next show and maybe move forward a little bit uh, mm-hmm. and let's talk about the movie itself let's dive into the harbinger and what works about this movie yeah um i want to say like what what this movie does is it taps into one of my greatest existential fears um this idea that like not only will you die but you will be completely wiped out of the plane of existence. Nobody will remember you. You will have made, made no mark on the world. Nobody will grieve you. Um, it's like you were never like you were never born. Someone said this to me once and it's something that keeps me up. Someone said someday somebody will think about you for the last time. i hate it okay (laughs) and that and that's when you're truly gone and you think someday someone will think about shakespeare for the last time or einstein like they'll be gone like they're just it's going to happen like someone maybe it'll hopefully be centuries from now um and i think rachel you said podcasts are forever (laughs) so hopefully (laughs) there'll be some collect will leave some imprint on this planet where rem- somebody somewhere will remember us in some little way, but the what this creature does, what the Harbinger does, not just that it kills you, but everybody forgets you.
2: It's brutal! Hurts. That's yeah. like such a brutal mm-hmm. big bad, right? Like this mm-hmm. villain in this movie, it's, it's a small-scale villain, but the way, the violence that it inflicts Like, there's nothing more brutal than that. Because even if you think, like, a slasher, it's like, okay, well, those kids had families. Mm -hmm. Like, those, you know, supposedly, we we never meet them. But I'm assuming they have families somewhere. Like, somebody's (laughs) going to miss those. But, like, here, like, they're just completely ripped away. And not even, like, their families don't remember them. Those closest to them don't remember. That's, like, the worst death you can imagine, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I like that it, the movie tackles that from two different directions because it's the horror of realizing that you don't remember your loved ones, you know, uh-huh. in the dream sequence with her grandmother, I believe, mm-hmm. or, or and her mother dying, you know, there's the horror of realizing, like if you can't remember what their laugh sounds like anymore, or, you know, you lose little pieces of them and it feels like losing a little piece of yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but on the other side, as you said, that horrible <laughs> existential realization that... Um, some point, you won't even be a memory. You'll be absolutely nothing. That is, I can't think of a bleaker, more terrifying Mm -hmm. villain in a horror movie than that.
0: That's why I'm really glad the movie I did in my other show before (laughs) this was It's a Wonderful Life because... (laughs) it's the opposite of this where it shows you how the little things you do have such a collective impact and how small deeds can touch so many people in wonderful ways because it is the antithesis of this movie
2: yeah I-, I do think that like part of what makes it so scary like it it I don't want people to think this movie is just like a major bummer because no, I mean, it is. It is, yeah, like it is, it is. but like, it's also great. And yeah, it's yeah. really scary. And I think that this is something that everybody like thinks about from time to time, right? Like, I don't know, as somebody who doesn't have any kids, I always like, pretty regularly think like, <laughs> oh, great, what's gonna happen? Like, if I'm not gonna have Kids at like some point, like it's just, it's just Dunzo, right? And I'm like, okay, thank oh God my my sister had a kid, so at least my niece mm-hmm. will remember me. Hopefully, you know. So I I, I I appreciate how it tackles these things, but it's not such a dour film that you're just going to hate watching it. Like the the horror is good, and the characters are, you know, well rounded enough that it's it's also fun in a weird way.
1: Oh, yeah. No, I, it can be very funny. Like, Monique's delivery in particular is so dry when she's like, well, you know, I did schedule a video chat with a demonologist. Like, it, this is a funny movie. It's not just unrelenting yeah. horror and bleakness. Like, yeah. I, I'm with you. I want to let people know this is an entertaining movie. It's not just you are going to die for right. 90 <laughs> or 100 minutes. <laughs> no.
0: And it's legit scary. And we'll talk about some of those scares like it's not a jump scare heavy movie but like the two jump scares in particular really pay off in one to the degree like the second time i saw it it still got me like it literally still made me like stumble backwards as i'm watching the movie (laughs) in my seat knowing it was coming um to speak of some of the joy of this movie like the the opening scene with Monique's family with her and Ronald and their father is truly and I want to contrast that with how this movie closes mm-hmm. um because there's something like, like a line I caught watching this um again there was this real joy in the three of them together like kind of celebrating that they had each other mm-hmm. um That just and like Ronald coming in with the groceries and being like, "Hey, it was great." Like they came right to the car, they put everything in. Like, which is something we still mostly do. Like the one, I'd say the one positive thing out of the pandemic is, unless I'm going to like Trader Joe's, I never grocery shop anymore. I'm like, nope, online. Saving myself two hours a week, love it. Um, But the idea, like they're showing caution, like they're wearing masks. but they're still finding time to celebrate like their father and him being like, we're all wishing for the same thing. Everybody blowing this cake together, mm-hmm. sharing that Ronald story of like the sausage vendor.
2: Yeah. Uh, and he
0: is right. It is one of those foods that tastes better. smells better than it tastes like sausage vendors or a crock. They never taste as good, <laughs> never taste as good as like they smell from the outside. But I love the joy they're sharing there.
2: I think that joy too, I think that that's something, you know, cause we're talking about a heavy subject, but I do think that for a lot of people, the last few years has, there's been situations where you've connected, like you see them connecting their family, connecting and sharing stories that like, maybe they wouldn't have had that, that, um, those moments before because they lived in different places, you know, her brother was going to college, they were all over. And so they never would have had those moments. So it's like, even I I just like the way he presents that because it's like, yes, even in the darkest times, you know, there's still moments of joy and there's still going to be a lot of experiences that people will treasure from this time because we were, I mean, we were forced to be together, right? Yep. (laughs) A lot of, a lot of times. And so there's a lot of people that never would have taken that pause. Um, I I mean, especially people with kids, like I, like my sister had a baby in July of 2020 and her and her husband would have never had those early months together at Mm -hmm. home with their new baby. um, Had it not been for this awful situation, but like, that's something that you can never, I mean, they can never, um, they never would have had and they could have never predicted. (laughs) And so it's, you know, a blessing in disguise in that way, I guess.
0: I I think what it, What one of the things it did in a positive way is it made us reflect like, okay, work is not going to be the most important thing in my life anymore. I'm going to ask more out of my job. You know, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to ask them to give me more, but also like when I'm not on the clock, I'm not on the clock. Like I am going to take the time to enjoy my family, to enjoy my friends, to engage in hobbies. Like, you know, we started a podcast. We started psychoanalysis during the Mm -hmm. pandemic. Um, Because, like, why not? Like, life is too short to not do these things. And I think specifically you see them being very cautious with one another but showing a tremendous amount of love for one another. And that, particularly... What you I want to contrast that to the last scene of the movie, where at one point during the birthday celebration, the dad says, "Like you know, you're my hope, you're my sparrow," and it really hit me on this last rewatch. Like watching his demeanor coming home from the hospital, like Ronald still seems to have it to an extent. Like Ronald is still saying, "There's good in the world." we're gonna get through this it's good that you survived and came home from it and the dad just seems like tired and defeated and not Mm -hmm. just because he's coming back from the hospital but there's like something something has been taken away from him and i think what's really powerful about what this movie does is it shows like not only is this person gone but the way the impact they've made on people is gone. So the joy, the happiness, the love that she was able to fill this family with has now been stripped from them as well, and they're worse for it.
2: I think that's a great testament to, to this film and the writing and the way it's executed, just the filmmaking in general, because yeah, by setting it up at the very beginning, the impact of you know what happens throughout the film is really you feel it like you care about these characters you care about this family and yeah these characters are just really I don't know really well developed and executed and just in simple ways but they do they do a great job and yeah it just makes that ending just heartbreaking Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I think it's really smart to set it
1: in the very early days in early you know 2020 when lockdowns were happening in cities and whenever anything that came into your house you were sanitizing those very early days because it gives you like we were talking earlier about how nobody wants to watch a pandemic movie you know it gives us just enough distance to -hmm. where we we're not going to say post-covid but we're going to say okay those early days of the pandemic there's just enough distance where we feel like okay that was a specific period separate from yep. this one uh, but it's also got that really like I feel like that those days are going to be burned into the minds of the people who live through it and it's a good document for people later on who, to show what it was like i just i think it's really smart to give us just enough psychological distance to be able to deal with it mm-hmm. And not have it, you know, year three of the pandemic, and this is, we're trudging along through it, and this is what happens.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it would be a different story if this came out, like, December 2020. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? I think it would be a lot harder watch. And it's not that it's an easy watch, but it would be even more difficult. But having a couple years removed from those early days, like, it almost, like you said, contextualizes it a little bit better Mm -hmm. what do we think of this friendship between mavis and monique as well i think that's one of the strengths of this movie
1: i love that there is no question for monique because mavis was there for her that's another thing i wanted to get into because monique it's established that she struggles with depression she struggles Mm -hmm. with um ideas of suicide um and Mavis saved her from that she saved her life and Monique is like no question no doubt in my mind if you need help I'm there for you because you were there for me at my lowest moment I love seeing that loyalty and that love between them that unquestioning if you need me I'm there I mean I that's a kind of friendship that I aspire to that I think a lot of people especially in this really isolated time wish they had not that they want the circumstances of this friendship because it's kind of we've bonded over these horrible things that have happened to us mm-hmm. but th- there's a lot more than just obligation though like they're you know laughing together they're so relieved to be able to hug each other and not just because they need human contact because they need each other Monique and Mavis need each other not just mm-hmm. to anybody um, but I really loved their friendship and just how so much goes unspoken between them like this is a really smart script that lets us fill in the blanks you know uh, just their relationship with each other when they're not dealing with some kind of trauma Mm -hmm. Um, but I I just I was I found it so heartwarming I guess that she was like no I'm gonna drop everything even in the absolute worst possible circumstances I will leave the safety of my bubble because you need me and you were there for me at my absolute lowest Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I also love, um, uh, I'm scrolling really quickly, uh, something that the Harbinger says to Monique, you have no family. You were never born just like you always wanted and you were right. It's better this way that, that just, Oh God, as someone who struggles with thoughts of suicide, I can't tell you how many times that has run through my mind Mm -hmm. and how hard that hit me. Like, this, this is not just a pandemic movie. This is a movie about depression and about suicidal ideations. And, you know, I can't tell you how hard that hit and how seen I felt by that. That, like, you know, I, I know that intellectually I know I'm not alone in having thoughts like that. But the very nature of those thoughts makes you think that you are alone. And that you're the only person experiencing this and that you should just do something to get rid of the pain. So being seen by this movie made me feel less alone and let me share a little of my pain with Monique, which Mm -hmm. I I kind of felt like I was in that friendship with her and Mavis, which helped a lot.
2: I, I did think their friendship addressed an interesting thing that I haven't seen another film address really talking about this time period was just the idea of trust like I thought it was just so brilliantly executed like okay so you see like Monique in the hallway right and they've got the neighbor who's kind of you know a little bit less (laughs) excited about wearing a mask right and she's Mm -hmm. like you know six feet away please you know and then she gets in the apartment and her and Mavis I mean they haven't seen each other in a while it seems like we don't know exactly how long but uh And then they're like, well, I trust you. And like, I trust you. And it's just, it's such an interesting thing. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate. And I know I was guilty of this too, where it's like with your friends, you're like, you go into their house and you're like, oh, I trust you. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's not really about trust, right? (laughs) But I just, I thought that it handled that really well um, in a way that was kind of irreverent and like having like a light, a lighthearted moment about this whole dark you know, period of this pandemic. Yeah. Um, and I just, yeah, the, even though it does seem like a lot of time has passed, I love how you don't feel that in their friendship. And I love how it's like, you believe that they had such a strong bond from the past that they kind of just click into this. They just pick up right where they left off. Mm-hmm. And Monique, I think, does a really good way of like, knowing okay clearly my friend is going through something so they don't dive right into it but is makes sure to not kind of beat around the bush like there's a moment where she's kind of i can't remember exactly what she says but she's like all right what's going on like let's Mm -hmm. get into this and you 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 just feel the love between them and Yeah. Yeah. yeah And
0: I like how Monique has jumped in and very logically has been like, okay, I found a bunch of doctors, a bunch of psychologists, and they all do telehealth. Mm-hmm. And not that Mavis has probably never thought of those things, like assuming. And one of the things I really appreciate is that like despite their friendship, they we never seen Mavis get any better. Like we're kind of seeing Mavis at the tail end of this. And we know that she's experienced this like trauma of the nightmares for an, a long time and it's worn her down. Mm-hmm. And it's not like Monique comes in and saves the day, even for just like a short period of time. Like Mavis never gets any better. And one of the things I think this movie does a really good job of is it shows how quick we can be to adapt to terrible circumstances. Mm-hmm. There's like a brief scene in the movie where. Monique is just kind of casually surfing on her MacBook while Mavis is like five feet away from her having basically a waking nightmare where she's like standing up kind of like in a a fugue state. And it's become the new normal. So just like this whole like let's wear masks, let's socially distance, uh, let's not go see anybody, let's treat – anyone that has like even just a small cough or sneeze like oh my god they're armed with like a flamethrower like that's how mm-hmm. much danger it represents um, you it's all of a sudden become like this new it's a new normal like I don't even have to worry about it anymore where I think any of us under other circumstances we would see a best friend or a loved one experiencing this horrible waking nightmare in front of us and probably freak out
2: yeah
0: right. And now it's like, nope, this is just the way it is. So I like how things never get better for Mavis, um, despite all of Monique. If anything, what happens is like Monique gets drawn into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get sucked, and it's how the Harbinger works. Like, once you know what it is, you're now caught within its sphere of influence at that point.
1: Yeah, that is something that I really appreciated the neighbor character for because Mm -hmm. as i was watching it i think i even made a note that i i can see certain people misinterpreting this movie because you know fear is a contagion in this movie too because the fear of the harbinger is how it spreads and i was scared that some people might interpret that as you know Fear of the virus is worse than the virus. So don't mask. Don't, you know, but Uh so I appreciated that there was a neighbor character who is so clearly anti-mask. She calls them sheeple. You know, she's very, you know, in their face about not wearing a mask, not being forced to abide by the regulations that are there to keep people safe but then when the little boy dies you see the doubt on her face she's still not masking but you can tell that she's reevaluating her stance so i really appreciated that they had that like it wasn't too much it wasn't yeah. too much of you know uh criticizing anti-maskers or anti-vaxxers it wasn't going too hard on that side but i appreciated that that was in there to be like before you go misinterpreting this movie let's be sure that we're clear on where we stand here Mm -hmm. so i just i thought that was really important
0: yeah no i agree like they do a really good job of not making that character a monster yeah um it could have easily gone like the dash cam route um (laughs) and this is more because that was it it was a it's not a caricature of a person that we encountered Mm -hmm. during these times. Like that was a very normal. And to your point, I like what you said, like how fear spreads in this movie. It spreads through word of mouth. It spreads through pictures. It spreads when the Harbinger's like name or stories are told. Um, My best friend, um, Joan, she is a PhD who works at Harvard or her job is basically researching misinformation. Hmm. Um, so she wrote a book called memoirs and it her area of expertise is talking about how easy it is through social media in particular to spread misinformation and even if you don't believe the misinformation it can sometimes be enough to cast a doubt on the truth yeah um it's a great book it's called memoirs by joan donovan and seek it out quick plug for you there joan free free (laughs) advertising um there was a line in this movie something else is making my choices uh where mavis is talking about being in the dream state and it's in a familiar setting she recognizes the places and the people that are around her but it almost a lot of times dreams do feel like this you're experiencing it as an out-of-body experience and i thought like that line like someone else is making choices like it did feel like that time in particular when this takes place where yes you're making a choice to shelter in place but that choice has really been taken from you like nothing is open um you felt like you, you couldn't make decisions for yourself anymore. Like, this is just something that we have to do. Um, and I think that did speak to, like, that loss of control and the loss of one's routine. You <laughs> know, like, Mavis talks about, I, I'm losing clients. I can't take pictures anymore. Um, Monique was a teacher, I believe. So her students are no longer in school because the schools have been shut down. This idea, like, what do you do when you lose? And we're going to talk, I think, more about it next time. But that loss of routine, those loss of those day-to-day markers, it gets so easy to get trapped in your own head at that point. Mm -hmm. And we looked at, like, suicidal ideation, like the occurrences of it went way up during the pandemic, especially for women uh, and children. Um, Because all of a sudden, I have nothing to do except focus on my anxieties, my depression, Um, And all my anger, all of these thoughts that I can sometimes hold at bay through coping mechanisms that have been taken away.
2: Yeah, I will say like, so talk like at the beginning, where she well, and she talks about it a few times, Mavis, sorry, I'm talking about Mavis, when -hmm. she's talking about like ways like she would wake up. She was saying like, you know, at first she would set alarms, and then she would try pinching herself and Mm -hmm. then like the fingernails in the skin till she was like bleeding like well that's very relatable to me because there's been periods of time where you know I've relied on those kind of Mm -hmm. stimulations to help kind of keep my emotions in check and I but that was her way of waking up from this nightmare and I I mean, there's just a lot of... I would like to talk about the nightmares because I think there's a lot of obviously some ways that you can interpret what the, you know, quote unquote nightmares are. Mm -hmm. But I just, it was just such a relatable moment, I think, and something that anybody, especially, I I mean, I can't even imagine being alone during this, like totally alone like this during this time period. Mm -hmm. Like I just, my, oh gosh, I yeah, um, my heart goes out to anybody that had to do that because that yep. would be seems so difficult and I think that obviously you see Mavis struggling with this and then all, she's got a harbinger demon on top of it. So <laughs>
0: so let's talk about those nightmares because I feel this movie represents the nightmare world or handles nightmare in ways that are scarier than almost anything else I've ever seen. Um for one, the way it slips in and out of the dream state
2: mm-hmm.
0: so easily. And number two, how it tricks the audience. And I, 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 tricks is probably the wrong word, but it can use as like sub subterfuge to make you think you're back in the real world. And it's only upon like closer inspection you realize like oh shit like we're still in a dream here. What was it? Because Rachel, you wanted to talk about this. What stood out for you about some of these dream sequences?
2: Well, number one, dream sequences can be really tricky in movies, right? Like sometimes they're just so annoying, and like when it flashes <laughs> back to reality, you're like, really come on, yeah. you know, like that was a dream. Like it, it can be tiresome, mm-hmm. and so I applaud this movie. It never felt tiresome. Like it really felt warranted and it was part of the horror. And the fact that it was rooted in the familiar, I think is what really made it a little bit more scary. And then slowly the the realizations that something is askew and how the harbinger can just kind of come in, manipulate that and kind of just, whisk you away quietly like that it, it just it, it was scary on a lot of different levels I felt like
1: <laughs> yeah and it captures that nightmare logic really well like when you're describing a dream to somebody you're like you were there but you weren't really you and I was on a bed and then I was on a truck and then uh-huh. and those transitions between these spaces that seem normal it it's just jarring enough to let you know it's a nightmare but it's it makes sense within that world like so many dreams and movies are too fantastical or too realistic and this was perfectly in the middle um and like i said those transitions like and then i was doing this but then i was in a bed you know it's just that's exactly how dreams actually work which is why as you said it works so well making you think that maybe we're in the real world for a while um but and the fact that it's so relatable is why it's so scary. Like, mm-hmm. you know, she's dreaming about these everyday things like tr- trucks full of corpses, like mobile morgues going through the streets. Like these are real things that happen. This is not a nightmare, mm-hmm. which adds to the unreality slash reality of it. Um, but yeah, I, and just the, the lighting and the, the cinematography, I think really added to it. Cause there's this coldness to the whole movie yeah. sterile
2: yeah exactly
1: exactly um which yeah
2: and there was a combination of like you see whether it's mavis or monique you see a combination of these like real world fears of like the bigger things going on in the world around them and then their own internal fears Mm -hmm. as well so Mm -hmm. it was it was a nice mix of the two it wasn't like just the world at large was terrorizing them it was their own inner like fears that were coming out too Mm -hmm. and then just the the actual design of the plague demon itself is really cool (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: yeah and i think what's what's scary about the harbinger is it's not a freddy krueger it's not the tall man in that it's like unrelentlessly pursuing its victims like He's not popping from around the corner and quipping while chasing you down always yeah. like you're often just running away from nothing in these dreams all the harbinger it's the harbinger is almost like a director mm. it's almost like behind the scenes pulling the strings and like you said like tapping into those internal fears like the phone call between Monique and her brother Ronald when yeah. he's like it's not good dad spike to fever and then you have to think, oh, my God, did I leave too soon? Did I catch this fever as well? Did I bring this fever to my friend? Mm-hmm. Um, what's going to happen to me and everybody else? And now I can't go back to my house and be with them. How am I going to help? All of that you know, runs through your brain. And then that's punctuated by like the crashing of the corpse through the um, – ceiling after that and all the harbinger does is like stand in the doorway doesn't come after them doesn't like pop out of nowhere doesn't make a weird quip um it just has to be um i thought one of the scariest appearances of it was that first dream that monique has when she hears her mother mother's voice and i'd recommend watching this on a good sound system because like the surround mix is incredible uh Mm -hmm. at times like the mother's voice comes out of at least three or four different places during it so it's very disorienting and you just see the harbinger like a hundred yards away and that makes it almost scarier because it can do all of those things without even being within like a uh, within a grasp of it
2: mm-hmm. it's interesting seeing these villains like just thinking about even the movies that we've kind of gotten over the last year like this this harbinger kind of reminded me of like the owl in a wounded mm-hmm. fawn, or even, oh, um, I mean, even like smile. Like I know you don't care for that movie, Mike, it's but a, like yeah, I don't but hate like, it. I
0: mean, it's a good night at the movies.
2: But like, ju- yeah. just the idea of like these entities that just kind of are there, and it's almost like you're inflicting. The damage on yourself kind of thing and how it's just in such stark contrast to like mm-hmm. freddy or jason yeah. or Ghostface, these things that are like coming after you whereas there's kind of this wave of and i know that you know these have existed before it's just interesting to see some of these um villains this year that are just kind of like sitting back and like mm-hmm. i'm just gonna let you destroy yourself a little bit yeah. and i think that that is also a uh something a statement you could say about the larger Mm -hmm. global situation (laughs) as well it's like oh yeah we're just gonna sit back and let you destroy yourselves Mm -hmm.
1: have at it (laughs) yeah it also feels like a fear of just the inevitability of getting covid because now people Mm -hmm. are talking about like who doesn't who hasn't had it who doesn't have it Mm -hmm. and you know, I, and the uh, fear of, congratulate stay as safe as you can. Cause, yeah. You know, I, know. I, I long COVID is no joke and getting reinfected is no joke. I knock on wood. I've had it once. Um, I'm still experiencing effects from COVID even almost two years later. Um, but I do think it's like, people feel like it's stalking them. Like it's, Yeah. You know, fingers crossed that the people who haven't gotten it never, ever, ever get it. Um, But I think there is that fear like, oh, God, when's it coming for me?
0: Yeah. I was shocked I avoided it for as long as I did. I didn't get it till November of last year or December of this year. I'm sorry. It was like just a couple weeks ago. And like working in a school that had a really high infection rate, like the mm-hmm. town I work in was always in the red um, and working very closely with children. Like, let children are disgusting. Okay? <laughs> like, I love kids, but they're gross, you know. Uh, they're unclean. So the fact that we went as long as we did without getting it. like Actually, my wife and daughter got it. Last year, when I was at Telluride and I came home and was with them, and I still managed to not get it,
2: mm-hmm. it
0: blew my mind. um and I was very fortunate in that, aside from a couple uncomfortable days, it hasn't seemed to really had much of an effect, but I don't want it again because I think i'm I feel like I'd be rolling the dice, you well, know that's what's so. so
2: scary, right? Like you never know like you it could go i mean either way, and i yeah. Yeah. i mean that's a whole other tangent but yes right. this I, I, I that that's something i didn't think about too with the harbinger yeah. i think that that yeah. is completely totally there that's i think a perfect yeah. read on him just yeah
0: that demonology scene is, is one of the best scenes in the movie too like because like she's so and i believe that is like the director's wife, it's and wife. I know it's I his read, children yeah, and it's his, his kids because he you know, I, I'll save it for the interview, but he talked about some of the challenges of, like, making this movie, and part of it was being away from his family. Mm-hmm. Um, it's – she's, like, tear up that picture. Like, she doesn't even want to know it exists mm-hmm. uh, because, like, even knowing that it's out there, like, it runs the risk. If you're too close to it, you run the risk of getting infected by it now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sense of, like, there is nothing I can do to help the two of you all I can do is take this information and hopefully we'll get a little bit further down the line in helping other people defeat this thing.
2: Yeah. You know? yeah. And if it's that's just not so a sm- metaphor. It was, <laughs> it's just so smart. Like I love how he's able to... There's so many different reads here and obviously there's... I, I don't know. I just applaud how well thought out it is mm-hmm. because it could be it could be very preachy yeah, but it could. i don't think it is and no. that's what i think is so great about it, is that you can take from this what you want you can read as much into it as you want but you can read it in a lot of different ways or you can just enjoy it for what it is
1: mm-hmm. and
2: I, that's a very tricky line to walk i feel like and yet they managed to do it very successfully in my opinion
0: i want to comment on the design of the creature too yes it is love it super creepy looking it looks almost like the spy versus spy characters from mad (laughs) magazine (laughs) Um, but also like thinking of like the mask of red death with by edgar Allan poe Mm -hmm. um obviously it's based on like the classic plague demon of yore but just thinking like The mask is a little bit different, and it almost at times looked like a gas mask, like something you would see, Mm
2: -hmm. you know, a
0: soldier wearing, like, fighting through, like, chemical warfare. Um, And it's a simple, simple design, but I think that makes it
1: all the scarier. When when we first see it, when it kind of comes down from the ceiling and pokes Mm -hmm. around, that's... I, I love a jump scare, but that kind of slow reveal. Mm-hmm. God, that really got me. Like, I, I don't think I've done a good enough job of talking about how scary this movie is. Cause I mm-hmm. focus so much on the emotion behind it, but I'm with you, Rachel, like it is so scary. Yeah. <laughs> um, and just the design, you know, with a good design, you don't have to do much. You don't have to some- have somebody run around mm-hmm. and jump up ab- from behind a corner and you can just stand there and be creepy. And that's so much more effective. And I love how, patient and how confident this movie is in its scares and in its message um so yeah I'm I agree with both of you on how scary and how well done it is
2: oh gosh like when things are just like standing in corners and shadows (laughs) like that is like that gets me so hard like I'm Mm -hmm. just like nope nope no, nope, not okay. Don't yeah. like it. <laughs> but and like that, yeah. This that happens several times. It's just you want. It's like you almost want it to do something because it releases that tension. Yes. So yeah, when it's just standing there, it's just so uncomfortable. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, one of my favorite moments ever watching a movie was seeing *Hereditary* in theaters for mm-hmm. the second time, and sitting next to this woman uh. who, during the scene where like Tony Collette is like pinned against the wall above <laughs> yeah. her son's bed. And you don't really notice it at first. No, thank then, you, like, sir. So <laughs> it the the woman next to me, when she after about like five or ten seconds, when she finally noticed, it just went really loudly. Like, oh fuck no! Like <laughs> super loud, and it was great. Like I love moments like that in. <sighs> movies like where it's not someone talking the whole movie it's like having that visceral reaction like that's why we watch horror movies like i said before this movie scared me like i love horror but we've watched so many horror movies that we often don't feel scared by them yeah i'm telling you man when that thing fucking bursts through the wall when she's mid-sentence and pulls her out like I nearly shit my pants in the yeah. movies, all right. Like that got the second time that happened, I'd still got me. Um you know, so aside from all of like the intellectual fears of this movie and the emotional fears, like this isn't afraid to just scare the bejesus out of you with some good classic jump scares and creature design. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Agree. So
0: do we have any other I think we could talk about this movie a lot longer but we have another show to record shortly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. do we have any other closing thoughts on The Harbinger before we press on here?
2: It's great. If, I'm yeah. glad you recommended if, yeah, it. Watch exactly. it. Yeah. yeah.
0: If if is there is a reason like this was number 3 on my top 10 list of the year and it took two amazing movies to bump this down to three instead of one um i love these small isolated indie horror movies i really can't wait to see what andy mitten has next uh, and go back and you know watch his other movies i think you'll like all of them They're all a little bit different um, i really love as a parent really love the witch in the window mm-hmm. um but yeah go back and watch all of his flicks so we're going to move on and we're going to talk about Any other mental health topics we see represented in the film? We're not going to dig into them. We're just going to like to give them a brief mention as we see them. And I would say like anxiety and depression for sure. Uh, What else do we see in this movie?
2: I mean, self-harm. I think we see that the very first. I think that there's a parallel there for sure. Mm -hmm.
1: I think you can make the argument for OCD, given how diligent they are in cleaning everything mm-hmm. down and everything that comes into the house. Scrub it down. Yep. Um, I think you can do a read on that.
0: Oh yeah, excellent. Very good. That's a great observation. And Jesse, you also mentioned suicidal ideation mm-hmm. as well through yeah. this
1: movie.
0: Um, all right in other movies we see like similar themes in where do we see this theme or topic represented I had put Jacob's ladder mm-hmm. because uh, just the way the nightmares work in this movie that kind of like slipping in and out of reality or different dreams um, maybe it's because we're watching, these movies are the pot of the pendulum but i put phantasm down because i do feel like the nightmares feel a lot like don coscarelli's vision so nightmares um in shades of hellraiser at times in terms of just like the way physical spaces get manipulated and shift under person's feet so
2: I mean, also, I just the dr- I think it's just the dream sequences, really, and the idea of being trapped in a dream—the nightmare in Elm Street <laughs> series, just or not you know, not knowing you're in a dream, and also dying in your dream, right? Yeah. Like, I think that. I mean, these people disappear in their dreams, so I think there's mm-hmm. that, and then also, I mean, you brought up his previous film, Yellow Brick Road. Mm-hmm. I think that there's some similar ideas. Yep that he likes to address. Those are the only two of his I've seen, but um, I think that he also has some similar ideas in that one as well.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned hereditary. I think there's more there with, you know, with the family trauma and this feeling of this curse kind of hanging over everything it's its more of a, a feeling i think than maybe a plot similarity because this is a really healthy really loving family unit as opposed to what we see in hereditary um but just this feeling of doom and gloom hanging over it and kind of letting the audience discover the scares for themselves um i think is something they have in common all right
0: So we're going to move on to an uplifting moment. It's time for an uplifting moment where we share any grounding and coping techniques or any self-care that's been particularly effective for us. Grounding and self-care are the little tips, tricks, mantras, or practices that help get us through the hard times or hard moments. Self-care, we consider anything we do that makes us feel good or feel better. Um, Would anyone like to share anything?
1: Yeah, I, I remember I shared the same tip on the last uh, episode of the show that I did. But I, I do it every day and it really helps. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I work from home. I sit at a desk. So I'm, you know, in, hunched over in the same position all the time. Getting up and then stretching out on the floor and stretching and doing, you know, exercises to move my body that helps a lot it sounds silly to say get up and move you know like (laughs) how cliche can you be but just you know kind of getting in tune with my body and stretching and working out muscles that kind of get clinched up sitting at a desk all day it actually does help your mental health i hate to tell you that physical activity helps your mental health but it's true so
2: (laughs) um, i highly recommend it
0: excellent I, i think that's a great tip how about yourself rachel
2: I've been spending a lot of time with Rambo, uh, and not John Jay, uh, my dog Rambo. Um, and because my, my husband started a new job, he got he's on a contract uh, with the Department of Defense doing film work, so apparently that's a career path. Um, but he, so he's been out of state, and so I've been spending um, a lot of time with my dog, <laughs> but it's been... Like great. like I take him everywhere with me. Um, I'm lucky that I am able to take him to work mm-hmm. <laughs> with me and we are gonna be starting like a new training class next week um, to help just give him some, some public life skills. Cause I think that I have, my goal is to make him like a therapy dog, not, mm-hmm. not just for myself, but he's got that personality where I think he yep. would be great for students or anybody that just needs to de-stress a little bit and pet a cute dog. <laughs> um, but just like having him around and engaging with him more, uh, cause he was very attached to my husband. So I've been trying to kind of like step in and be like, mm-hmm. it's okay. Like he'll be back cause he comes and visits. Um, and just, you know, by taking care of him a little bit more, it's also been taking care of myself a little bit yeah. more. And, like, I don't know, dogs are just the best. And that yeah. love and just, like, spending time with him going on walks has been also good, good for him, but yep. extremely good for me as well.
0: We really don't deserve dogs. I mean, no. they are really, truly the greatest creature. Um yeah, for me, like it. We take our dog for a walk every day, and last week was it was the rare times where it was like too cold to really do so. Like she's a Chihuahua uh, <laughs> mini pin mix, so she's this tiny little creature, um, and she loves her walks. But like it warmed up enough where like the past few days i've taken her for longer hikes like rather than just put her on the leash and take her around the block for 20 minutes like we've been going on like 40 minute walks in the woods because like the ground is frozen enough mm-hmm. and was war- just warm enough so you could take her off leash put her little coat on her and just watching her get to like run yeah. up ahead a little bit and then wait and then run and then wait um and then we got her a little like she sleeps between my wife and i every night and mm-hmm. it is amazing how much space a. Ten- <laughs> pound
2: i don't want to hear it my dog is he is like 60 some pounds and mm-hmm. it's like we have a california king and it's like how am i falling off this bed like this dog oh. is taking.
0: <laughs> she will i'll wake up to her like with her four paws of me like trying to push me off yes. the bed um <laughs> <Assholes>. but, <laughs> but we got her a little doggy bed for the living room so during the day like it's up on the, the little reclining chair that I never use. So her little dog bed is on there. And I just see her in there under the little blanket it comes with. And she'll just pop her head up. And she looks so happy with herself. Aww. So It's been like very fun. Like having the week off and just spending it more with like the family. But the dog in particular. So mm-hmm. All right. Well, that is uh, our. So we want to hear from you. Tell us what your self-care has been at the moment as we head into the new year here. If you have any resolutions or anything you want to do, because this is the first show of 2023. Uh, You can follow us on all the socials. We have a Facebook group if you look for psychoanalysis um, support group, like you'll find us there. There's probably other groups named that as well, but you know. If they're talking about horror movies, it's us. You can email (laughs) us privately at psychoapod at gmail.com. You can also follow us over on Twitter at psychoapod. Our homework question for the week is, what was your bubble like? What was your... What did you do during the pandemic to stay sane? And, like, what was your safety bubble like? What did you do? And is there anything that you still do um, from those times, like in your everyday life now? So... What are we watching next week? Well, next week, we're going to talk a bit more about The Harbinger because I'm going to be joined by the writer and director of The Harbinger, Andy Mitten, for a very special comfort horror episode on Friday the 13th, part two. But we also discuss The Harbinger in greater detail, and he talks about his own vision and goals for the movie. So that's a really fun episode. Like, that's already recorded here. Like, fun fact, like, one of the things I've done for my self care is basically by in about a week all of this month's episodes will be recorded uh so which is great so i'll have a little bit of time to relax a bit just been able to kind of get ahead of the game so let's wrap with some plugs. Jessica, where can our listeners find you?
1: You can find me on Twitter at WeWhoWalkHere. Uh, I have a website, WeWhoWalkHere.com, where I share you know, all my writing from all over the web, all my podcast appearances. I've got some pieces coming out soon on Slash Film and Dread Central that I'm excited about. Um, and I'll share all that on Twitter at we Who Walk here.
0: Excellent. Rachel, how about yourself?
2: Yeah, I am, I'm on Twitter at Vinyl Girl, G-R-R-R-L, and Instagram at The Vinyl Girl. Um, yeah, I'll have some stuff coming out later this month. Um, some projects that I'm very excited about, but I can't necessarily say anything yet. But also, Ooh. yeah, we'll i think i mean i'm sure jessica will be on there too we're doing pod and pendulum stuff we're talking about phantasm which is awesome uh so yes very excited to go down that rabbit hole as well
0: (laughs) excellent and you can find me at mike underscore snoonian you can find my hive at mike chump change you can find my Insta at Mike underscore snoony and my letterbox at Mike chump change. If you want more psychoanalysis, you want to hear more of us go to patreon.com slash psychoanalysis podcast and become a patron today. Uh, every tier gets you bonus episodes so not sure what we're gonna do for the month of january i think i'm gonna reach out to jen to see if she wants to talk about megan when that comes out (laughs) because i don't know when else i would get to talk about it and that movie looks like it's gonna be so much fun i think i can recruit a few folks to maybe talk about that with us if we need to yeah um all right. I've already got a couple of volunteers. <laughs> so we'll have a bonus episode up in January. Um, we will also have, depending on the tier, you get things like our recommendations. We call that the medicine chest, what we're watching, reading, playing, listening to, uh, and also the um, treatment plan, which is where I will take a character from a horror movie and kind of diagnose them based on what we see for the month of January, I'm talking about Leatherface in the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre and talking a bit about developmental disabilities there. So fun stuff planned. Um, I want to completely redo the patron page this coming year. I'm working with Chen on that because I want to start offering more things to our patrons uh, because we really do appreciate the support you give the show. That's huge for us. Uh, It helps us really like buy the movies, the books, the research material, host the show. Um, So we really, really do appreciate when you support uh, so you can do that by going to patreon.com slash psychoanalysis Podcast. become a member today and get access to up to like 40 hours so far, bonus material and more coming. If you can't become a patron, that's okay. A very easy and free way to support the show. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, but also go over to Apple in particular, go to Apple Podcasts. And leave us a rating and review. Five star ratings only, please, because that's what helps. Uh, And a few sentences really helps. We've gotten some like super nice reviews. You got a glut of them over the past uh, couple weeks. And your kind words are really appreciated. So thank you so much. And listeners, that is it. Jessica, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate the help. You're welcome.
1: Yeah, thank
0: Thanks, you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Okay, listeners, thank you so much for spending time with us. Please make sure to take care of yourselves and each other. And with that, we're going to sign off. We came here to chew bubble gum and take care of ourselves,
2: and, and we're, we're all, all out, of out of
0: bubble gum. gum. <laughs>